Let us bow our heads for the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, we want to be still in your presence. We wait patiently for your word. We want to hear it and trust it, so that we can learn to commit ourselves more completely to you. The evil around us is like grass that will soon wither and fade, but your word remains forever and ever. Make your glory shine like the sun at noon, illuminating Jesus Christ to our eyes, and causing our hearts to enjoy and delight in Him. In His name, Amen. Please open your Bible to James 1, page. Twelve thirteen of your red Bibles. We will begin with the verse nineteen and read through verse twenty-five. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this: everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word, the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. Is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. Someone comes to me, and their words sound like that. It will be easy for me to respond to them graciously. Yes. The question is, what happens when someone comes to me with attitudes and words and actions that sound like a two-year-old picking up? The violin for the very first time. How will I respond then? And that is the question of spiritual poise. Poise. Please take your bullets and insert as we turn to God's Word again, and this time looking at the Book of Proverbs and asking, what does the counselor in the Book of Proverbs have to teach us? So that we can become the kinds of people who respond, even to irritating and annoying people, with poise, with spiritual grace. How about this? Since we have eight couplets here on the insert, I'll read one. And then we'll read one aloud together, right? So I'll read two lines, and then we'll read two lines aloud together, and we'll go through these eight stanzas together. So let's read God's word: me first, and then us together. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent 
overlook an insult. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, you might not guess by looking at the two of us, Sam and I, but actually uh, we've discovered that in the last couple of years, Sam and I have actually done the same thing for exercise. Uh, Running and basketball, basically. I hate running, but I love how I feel after running. I love to play basketball, but I hate how my body feels after I play basketball. For a long time, I didn't understand that. Why? Here's why. (laughs) Because running is simple. Especially like me, you just run on flat surfaces for a long time. Right, left, right, left, right, left, done. That's running. Basketball, on the other hand, requires you to move in all kinds of different directions. You can't plan the way that your body is going to move like a figure skater might be able to plan it. You just have to do it. And if you're like me, that makes you sore when it's all over with. One evening in Korea, after I had played basketball, I came home and I was sore. And I watched a video of LeBron James, the great basketball player. And in this video, LeBron is on an inflatable giant exercise ball on his knees, balancing on this ball, right? And then his coach throws a weighted, they call them like medicine balls, a weighted ball at him, and he catches it and remains balanced on this inflatable ball. And then the coach throws it low and then high, and LeBron throws it back. The coach throws it left. LeBron grabs it, maintains his balance, throws it back. Right, same thing. And this is the day that I realized that even though LeBron and I are just two kids from Akron, Ohio, um, LeBron has more muscle right here than I do in my entire body. (laughs) And I probably have more fat right here than LeBron does in his entire body. And this, I learned that night, is why I am sore after I play basketball. But LeBron, on this exercise ball, this is 
This is exactly a picture of poise, poise, physical poise. And we, the Proverbs teach us, we need spiritual poise if we are going to love one another. If we are going to fulfill those 39-some commandments in the New Testament to love one another and serve one another and forgive one another and confess to one another and all of the rest, we have to have the wisdom of spiritual poise. And so this morning, let's look at three things. Let's look at the demand of poise. Let's look at the difficulty of poise. And finally, let's look at the deliverer's poise. The demand, the difficulty, and the deliverer's poise together. So first of all, the demand of poise. From It would be good to have your handout in front of you. So actually, in the book of Proverbs, our English translations only use the word poise one time. That's in Proverbs 16.11. It's not on our sheet. Because it's a proverb that's talking about how the Lord loves balances, measuring scales, that are correctly weighted. Because that promotes fairness, right? The balances need to be fair and weighted. That's the original idea of poise. But the idea of spiritual poise, our reactions to things that happen to us, This idea is everywhere in the book of Proverbs, even if the English word is not there. And so, sort of like LeBron's coach, right? The wise counselor in the book of Proverbs wants us to be able to have spiritual poise so that when people throw their crummy attitudes or their annoying words and actions at us, we're not going to just fall over in a big pile and ruin our chance to love one another and serve one another. And before we go any further, I need to just say so that it's clear that these Proverbs are not teaching us to let abusive people continue to be abusive toward us. That's not what is happening here. We're talking rather about annoyances and irritations and the people that bring them, not abuse. So if you or somebody that you love and know is being abused, the wise thing is not to say, I need to just have poise. No, the wise thing is to get out of or help someone get out of that situation. Do you understand the difference? It's sometimes hard to tell the difference, but they're two different things. Irritations and annoyances are different than abuse. So I wanted to say that and make it clear so we can move forward. But as we do, let's look at our sheet here. The first proverb, 12.16, says, Look, there are going to be people that say things to you that are unfair. How are you going to respond? Sometimes they're going to be church people. They're going to be people that should know better who ought to be more mature. And sometimes they will insult you. It will be unfair. What is the demand of poise when that happens to you? Well, people can and will be, the proverb admits, they will be annoying. 
But if you don't want to be a fool, the proverb teaches us, you've got to avoid becoming annoyed yourself. So you've got to be able to catch that heavy ball that's thrown at you and stay balanced on the other big ball. And actually, this includes, over and over again as we read these, it includes not just our words, but our body language as well. To have spiritual poise means not just that we control our words of response to people, but that we also learn self-control when it comes to what we are doing with our bodies while people speak to us. Are our arms crossed over our chest? Do we have a nasty frown on our faces? Are we breathing sighs of irritation the whole time? Sometimes, and I've learned this the hard way, I'm still learning it. Sometimes you can be perfectly silent, as you maybe should be. But your body language says everything about how annoyed you are, how irritating this person is, and how irritated they've made you. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 29, shows us again that our visible hot temper will show itself. And it will show when it shows itself that we are actually fools. Some translations say that here in 1429, that a hot temper promotes or exalts foolishness. It's kind of a funny thing to say, but what they're saying is it's like we're taking foolishness, just reacting to everything, and we're raising it up to the position of a king or a god. And that's what we're doing when we are hot-tempered. We're saying, my irritation will be Lord. And that's foolish. Chapter 17, verse 27 says that our words need to be held back. Yes, but so do our tempers. So if you like, we need to put a fence between our feelings and our mouths so that foolish words don't come out. But we also, let's use a nuclear power metaphor, shall we? We also need a cooling tower for the red-hot nuclear emotions that we sometimes feel when someone is irritating us. Chapter 25, verse 28 says that if we don't have this kind of self-control, then we might as well be a city without walls. Now, I'm not talking about modern-day walls and politics when I say any of this, so don't read any of that into this. But in the ancient world, and even up into the medieval world, a wall around the city was super important. Everything about that city's prosperity and safety and cultural thriving depended on the integrity of the wall around it. People couldn't engage in commerce and develop wealth and foster culture if there was a big hole in their wall. Why? Because thieves would come in and steal and armies would come in and invade and everyone would live defensively and in fear. The whole economy and culture of a city could be vulnerable to destruction if the wall is not there. And the Proverbs are telling me that that is what I am like 
if I lack spiritual poise. An army of annoyances can come right through the gaps in my wall and they can steal not just my joy, but my reputation and my effectiveness and my love just by ticking me off a little bit, just by getting me to react right away and in a foolish way. Speaking of armies and cities, uh, chapter 16, verse 32 says that it is better to have patience, you might say poise, than to be a warrior who can take someone else's city. It takes more strength and power to be someone who says, I will conquer myself than it does to go out and conquer someone else's city. Don't conquer other people, the proverb tells us, but conquer you. Don't control others. Learn self-control. And of course, to do any of this, we have to submit ourselves to the one who is wisdom himself, and that is the Lord Jesus. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So there is the demand of poise. The Proverbs say, don't be a fool. Instead, have poise. So there's the demand, but now we need to be honest, don't we, about the difficulty of poise. The difficulty of poise. Because we can understand very clearly what these are saying, it's difficult to actually live these things. In the physical world, every action has what? An equal and opposite reaction, right? I'm no chemist, but in the chemical world, if you add a reactant to unstable molecules, you get a reaction. And in our human psychology, because humans are chemical things and are hormonal things and are physical things, this means that we will also tend to react when someone acts upon us. And so the Proverbs here challenge us and they say, yes, you have chemistry and you have physicality just like everything else in the world, but do not be Nothing but a big lump, a big mass of chemicals. You are human, and so you are more than all of that. And with that conviction, the Proverbs challenge us to be more, than, uh, more fully human each day as we learn this wisdom. They are difficult Proverbs because they're, acting us, uh, they're asking us not simply to react, but to act and act in fresh ways. Uh, Stephen Covey has a good thing about this. He says that every stimulus will have a response, right? And he says, do you want to see a fool? Stimulus response. That's a fool. He says, do you want to see someone who's wise? Stimulus.
response. This is kind of what it means in the end. Yes? Poise is difficult. These Proverbs want us to make sure that our response is not a mere reaction based completely on the irritating stimulus. Rather, these Proverbs want us to take a fresh and new and patient action. So poise means that we stand and we speak wisely, not just in reaction to what is being said or done, but we stand and we speak wisely because of who we are. In Alan Jacobs' book, which is called How to Think, A Survival Guide for a World at Odds, Alan Jacobs says that in our hyper-connected world where we have more face-to-face relationships than maybe ever, and where on top of that we have thousands of electronic relationships, whether it's through WhatsApp or Facebook or texting or email. And he says that in this world so hyper-connected, the most important and wise thing that we can do is, he says, to give it five minutes. To give it five minutes. Whether you're standing face-to-face with somebody who's obviously wrong and annoying while they're being wrong, just as an example, or whether you've quickly typed up your response on email and you're about to click send. Alan Jacobs says, dude, give it five minutes. The world will be a better place if you give it five minutes. Lengthen the time between the stimulus, and the response. And it sounds simple, and it is clear, but this is very, very difficult. Because we feel, don't we, that wrongs should be made right, that errors should be corrected, that irritating people should understand how irritating they're being. And all the chemistry and physicality in our brains and bodies, in our fallen state, in our sinful state, they tell us to do one of three things. Fight, run, or freeze. And all of those reactions, natural as they might be, don't help us. Because aggressive or cowardly or cold attitudes and words and actions are not the way to love one another. And they will not help us to grow in toward one another in love in the church. Putting a gap between the stimulus and your response is wisdom. It is poise. Putting your body in a loving position and forming your words, whether here or here, in a loving way, This is our calling. Even when, and especially when, we are annoyed and irritated. This is exactly the wisdom and grace we need if we're going to fulfill Jesus' commandment to love one another right here.
So because there's a demand for poise from the scriptures, because having poise is also difficult, we're in trouble. And here's the thing. Our lack of poise is not just foolish. It doesn't just have consequences that are unpleasant. It's also, for us, a moral problem. Wisdom is more than ethics, right? But it's not less than ethics. And that means that foolishness is much more than sin, but it's not less than sin. We are fools, and therefore we are sinful fools. Uh, One pastor has said, I think brilliantly, that the paradox in the whole book of Proverbs is that if you think you are wise, you're a fool. But if you can say, Lord, friend, I have been such a fool. Help me. Then you are actually running, sprinting down the road of wisdom. That's the paradox. But what makes it possible for us to be able to say, Lord or friend, I've been such a fool. What invites us to run down the road toward wisdom? Well, it's this third thing. It's the deliverer's poise. The deliverer's poise. Jesus Christ has, of course, demonstrated poise in his own life. You read it over and over in the Gospels. And so he has shown us an example of how to be poised people. But it's not just that he's shown us an example. He has actually, by his poise, saved us and given us hope to have this same wisdom. No one, after all, has experienced more false accusations than Jesus. No one experienced the red-hot fury of scared religious leaders like the Lord Jesus did. And no one has experienced the ice-cold indifference of a secular bureaucracy like Jesus. When LeBron James was balancing there on his knees on that exercise ball, and his coach was tossing this weighted ball to him. This was a weighted ball that was made for this purpose, for exercise. The coach wasn't throwing random things at him, sharp things at him. The coach wasn't firing bullets at him out of a gun. Jesus was poised for all of those years. For 33 years, people tossed weighted balls of irritation and annoyance at him, and he responded in full humanity with perfect spiritual poise. And he gives all of that goodness and graciousness to our record. But then, in his arrest, in his trial, in the torture and crucifixion that followed, these weighted balls turned into bullets, didn't they? And you can't just catch bullets. Jesus is a fully 
human person as well as being God incarnate. Jesus was no longer dealing just with irritating people, but with his killers. And as a real man, he died. But this king of grace, the Lord Jesus, was able to say, isn't this something? Even as he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This is poise for Jesus, for sure, right? But for you and for me, this is our hope and our salvation. This is Jesus, not just being an example, but being our savior and being the very hope that we have for becoming wise and poised. And if you think about it this way, didn't the Lord Jesus himself put a big gap, a big pause between that awful stimulus, if you like, of his enemies and the response? They crucified him and he laid down his life. And then we have this pause, this long Saturday that he spends in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then Sunday morning, the response from heaven. Jesus is raised from the dead and vindicated. Dear church, the reason that we celebrate Harvest Festival, the reason that we send long-term or short-term missionaries around the world The reason that we will go into the streets and into the relationships that we have in Zurich as bearers of good news courageously is because we want to proclaim that Jesus is Lord because he's won our salvation. Jesus being the perfectly wise, poised example for us doesn't make us want to give us or give him our very lives. But Jesus, by his very poise, saving us and giving us a hope and a future, this makes us willing and ready to say, Lord, take my life. Take all of it. Teach me your poise. And Jesus finally is still poised to this day. I feel like I say some really irritating things to my Lord Jesus in prayer. I feel like I say some really annoying things that should be given to him in humble prayer, but are just nasty things. But the Lord Jesus is patient, isn't he? Even now, a full human at his father's right hand, praying for us, being patient with us, turning even our irritating words into into our spiritual growth and into his glory. And it's all of this that makes us want to say, Lord Jesus, make me a poised person just a little bit like you are. A couple minutes ago, I said that we're called to put our bodies into a loving position and form our words in a loving way. That's the poise that we need to love one another well. Can't we thank God together that our Lord Jesus put his body in this loving position for us and formed his words in this loving way for us. It's our salvation. And there he is at his father's right hand, still 
patiently bearing with us. That is, that gives me so much hope, not for you that you'll grow up one day and stop being irritating, but for me, because I know how much of a fool I can be. The Lord Jesus is poised and committed to my growth. And that makes me want to give him my very life and say, teach me your poise. So may we, church, may we follow our Lord Jesus and his love and his wisdom and learn to love one another in this way as he has first loved us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask this, and it is our prayer. Make us like the Lord Jesus, who loved us first, so that we might love one another, and so that all people will know that we belong to Jesus and are his humble and growing and learning disciples together. We ask it in his name. Amen.